I grew up in church. Um, both my parents were saved and brought me to church at a young age. Went through middle school, high school, and student ministry. Even led worship in church. I thought that God was this uh, all-powerful creator, and uh, He created me, and people said that He loved me a lot, and that if I followed Him, life would turn out all right. Well, I did have a friend growing up in high school. He went through a really hard time. He wasn't going back to the church or to God for help. He was kind of finding his own solutions. When I tried to fix him, which I thought I could do, and failed at that, I tried his solutions. Basically, he would go to parties on the weekends and drink, and so I started going to parties and drinking and showing up fine Sunday morning or at school or whatever. The solution was to just feel good and do whatever you could do to feel good. So it's just this pursuit of happiness kind of became like the core value. So you just translate that to college. I'm away from my family, away from church, and eventually it wasn't just like on the weekends and partying. Then it was you know drinking every day, missing class, and so I started to get a lot of my values from pursuing this um, identity as like everyone's friend, you know, and, and the really sociable, outgoing guy. Uh, but the party would end, or those friends would leave, and I'd be by myself and. I would still want to get that kind of like high, and so I wouldn't be looking at people anymore. I'd, I'd turn to substance, and I would feel that that buzz of excitement or that that happiness again. And I never saw myself as that, right? Like, oh, I'll just drink. I'll never smoke weed, and then I'm smoking weed. Oh, uh, I'm just smoking weed. It's harmless, and then I'm trying these psychedelics and getting into that, and and cocaine. That's a hard drug. I'm not going to do that until I did. One, one day, I. I I popped into my sister's pain medication and, and stole her pain medication. That's, that was pretty low. My value systems were defined by me, and I was in control of my life, so obviously God was not. In college, my first semester was fine. My second semester started to take a dive, and my parents knew something was up. So they'd ask me about it, and they were so compassionate. They were like, what's going on? You know, can we help you with this? And I just kept, I just kept lying to them. But all that time, there was a mentor in my life named Jimmy Gavala, and he would just, just tell me so many of these true things about God and, and, and try to show me this, this life that I could live. And I would just smile and nod, just like this, and I wouldn't take any of it to heart. My values those years pretty much consisted of, yeah, maybe there's a God, and maybe this Jesus thing does make sense, you know, in my head, but, you know, when I want to feel good or I want to live life my way, I'm God, and I'm going to make that decision. I'm going to make that choice, and when God's convenient, I can go back to Him. You know, I can talk about Jesus on Sundays. I know God still loves me, so I might as well go out and do what I want to do. I did a couple treatment things and saw some therapists. I ended up in, like, my third treatment center in Prescott. That night, I was planning my escape, so I didn't think I needed to be there. I thought I was better than everyone else there. I wasn't as bad as them. And that turned into an argument with God, where I was also like, this... This is horrible. Like, my life is at a bottom. And God, if you exist, why would you make someone like me, whose only purpose seems to be to, to lie to everyone and, and just keep messing up like this? Why don't you just fix me? I prayed to God that night, and I said, God, help me give up, because I, I couldn't even surrender. So God, help me surrender. And he did. I was able to take the next steps and get involved in programs and take help from people for the first time in my life, honestly, admitting that I was wrong and powerless and accepting his help. And I went to church, you know, during that time in Prescott and, but this time in the Bible studies, it wasn't just head knowledge. I was actually surrendered and actually gave my life over to God. And I had serenity in my life. I had peace. The happiness I had, it was new. It was a new happiness. 
that came from God and not from myself. After about nine months in Prescott, I ended up moving back home, started to meet up with Pastor Jimmy again. He started to really disciple me, which is a whole lot better when I was actually willing. And I got plugged into some really good support groups over at Northridge. Today I've been sober uh, two and a half years. I get to spend most of my hours either um, playing you know, rock and worship music with different worship teams, or working with guys at a rehab center who are getting sober just like I did, or hanging out with those crazy youth kids. For most of my life, I ran life my way, and I had my set of values. My best efforts and my best work got me to the bottom. Now that I've been living with God and surrendered to Him, my life is full of so much more purpose, and my life actually feels like it has value. It all comes back to God. He gives me that purpose. I gotta tell you, it was really an honor uh, to share with you Dan's story and also to uh, show our first My Story from our new Northridge campus. So uh, very exciting to do that. Northridge, you ought to be uh, really proud and happy and uh, excited to have Dan and Jimmy, who's a pastor there uh, at Northridge as well. So uh, really good stuff. So welcome uh, Northridge and Cactus Chapel and Venue. Uh, we're going to pray in about two seconds, but uh, Carl back in the booth and Patty, uh, you guys follow me closely in my introduction because it's going to be a little bit different than last, uh, last service. So sorry to bring you guys into that, but I have no other way to tell them that than that. So let's get that out of your heads right now. And let's pray. God, thank you for our gathered times of worship here and at other, other campuses and venues. We love to look to you and focus our minds and soften our hearts before you in preparation for our time in your word. And Lord, it is your word that we're going to look at today, the things that you tell us that come from you. And God, our job is to incorporate these into our minds and hearts. So help us to do that now by the power of your spirit collectively as a community and uh, Lord, hopefully we'll be changed as a result. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. So obviously today we're going to be talking about values, values. That's what our my story was about. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on today. And you guys need to pray for me even during this time because I've agonized over how to present to you a cogent, biblical, reasonable discussion on values. Because it's a lot more of a complicated subject, especially in our fallen world in the 21st century, than most people would realize. It's not as simple as many Christians make it out to be. I can remember when I first became a Christian almost 40 years ago. This will date me, but there was an organization that had just started called the Moral Majority. Some of you remember it, the Moral Majority. For you younger folks, just Google it. There's got to be an entire Wikipedia article on the Moral Majority founded by Dr. Jerry Falwell. And it was the beginning of what we would call the culture wars, the clash of values in our country between uh, secularism and Christianity. And the basic message that I heard when I first became a Christian, again, almost 40 years ago, was overly simple. And it was this message. We as Christians have values and you as the world don't. And that if you would adopt our values, then everything would be right. That's the basic message. And I even hear Christians say that today. There's two problems with that message to the world around us. Both problems tell us that it's a patently false statement. 
Because the first problem is that it's not true that there are people out there in the world who don't share our worldview that don't have values. Of course they have values. There are plenty of good people out there who might not share our worldview that are moral and upright. That's even in the Bible. Uh, Cornelius was a guy in the book of Acts who was not at all very religious. He was a general God-fearer, but the scriptures say he was upright and good. That exists today. So to say to the world, we have values and you don't, is patently not true. And the second problem with it, however, is that it also makes us look so arrogant and condescending to the world around us. It makes us look like we're the holders of everything good and right and that they have nothing to offer. And any discussion on values needs to go deeper than that because here's what we need to realize. Everybody has values. I know that shocks some of you, but it's true. Everybody has values. In fact, I'll shock you even more. Howard Stern has values. The shock jock. I'm so glad you guys laughed. In the last service, I think they're older. They didn't know who he was. <laughs> you probably shouldn't either, but that's for another discussion. The shock jock on Sirius XM radio. He's probably the most decadent person I can think of. He's so out there. He has values. A value is simply something that you hold dear. A value is something you prize. A value is something that you prioritize in your life because it's meaningful to you. And everybody in the world has values. So the issue is not we have values they don't. No, the issue is let's have an intelligent discussion about values in general. Let me share with you where I get mine. You share with me with you with where you get yours. And then let's see if we can't have some meeting of the minds. That's the way we need to approach this subject. So in light of that, here's what I want to do as I talk to you guys by and large, the already convinced about values. But this will help you understand them in our fallen world according to what God says and then have discussions with those around you. I want to talk with you about three things today. First, I want to talk with you about the power of values, why they are so important to just about everybody, even Howard Stern, and why they tend to have teeth in the culture that we live in. Then secondly, I want to talk with you about the pathway to values, the normal pathway pathway that everybody in a fallen world goes through in order to develop their values. And then we're going to talk about God's plan. So power pathway plan to for values for those that choose to do life his way. And this will be a neat little discovery of values for you and I. And under each one of these, I'm going to give you an equation a very simple equation that will help you kind of understand more deeply each one of these points and, and, and see if this doesn't help us in our spiritual lives. So first, let's start with the power of values, the power of values. And though we will note in just a minute a few things about values that reveal to us their absolute importance in our lives, here is the equation that I'm telling you will convince the most ardent skeptic on the power of values. And it's this equation, change equals conflict. Change equals conflict. In other words, when values change, and you've all experienced this, people freak out and there is conflict. And this reveals to us the power that they have. And when you look closely and open-mindedly at this concept that change in values creates conflict, you start to see it's true in every area of our lives, even in the history of our entire country. We saw this during the founding of our country when we were breaking off from Britain. 
The founders of our country had a value for freedom and a shunning of aristocracy, and that value did not set well with the King of England, did it? And what ensued was the Revolutionary War, a conflict over a change in values. Abraham Lincoln experienced this. He was firm on the value that all men and women are created equal and free. And this value change led to the Civil War and eventually to Lincoln being assassinated. World War II was about values and the conflict that can ensue with it. Vietnam, the same. It even hits close to home for some, if not many of us. Families are torn apart when values change. Probably one of the most common scenarios we deal with here in the church world is when parents raise their kids to know the Lord and they put them in Awana and the high school group and they bring them to church and they teach them the Bible. They, they imbue values in them. And then the kid grows up and chooses something different. Let me ask a question for those of you who are more spiritually minded. Does that create conflict? Yes or no? Of course it does. Or how about in marriage? Some of you have been through this. You marry somebody who has similar values that you do. And then sometimes, sadly, over time, or even quickly, they change. And again, let me ask you, when there's a change in values, is there conflict there, yes or no? Yes. Sometimes it even leads to the dissolution of that marriage. I could go on and on. This idea that change equals conflict when it comes to values shows us how important they are to you and me. It even hits all the time the church world. One of the biggest things I have to deal with in church is that anytime I mess with your dinner here at church, anytime I mess with the way that we do church, a slight change in values, I know it's hard to picture a Christian whining about it, but let me ask you a question. Do you think that they whine about that? Yes. Some of you didn't say yes, are the whiners, but yes, you are. No, in all seriousness, I get it. Will Rogers, the famous humorist, once said it this way. He said, everybody's for progress. It's change they don't like. And he's right. Everybody wants to see organizations and institutions move on and progress. But if it involves too much change, especially a value change, now there's conflict and so simply see that when you mess with values of a country, a family, a society, or even a church, the resulting conflict shows us just how important values are to everybody on planet Earth. And the reason for this, and we're not going to spend any time on this, but 60 seconds right now, the reason for this is obvious, and that is that values, the things that you and I hold dear and place a premium on, give us purpose in life. They actually define our identity. They guide us in our decisions. They become the foundation of our choices. They determine our actions. In fact, values can actually change the composition of a human heart and the trajectory of a person's life. They are so important, the things that you and I hold dear. And people are usually made or broken by their values. And what you need to know before we move on into point two, and we're going to in just a minute, is that the scripture is all over this idea of important values. Look at Proverbs 19, verse one. It says, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. <laughs> Boy, this is amazing. And that word integrity in the Hebrew literally means wholeness or completeness. It just pictures somebody who says one thing and ironically does the same thing. 
So it's the opposite of a hypocrite. It's somebody who has a completeness to their spirit because they value something and everything else flows from that. That's what that word integrity means. And it's saying here that it's better to be in the poorhouse with your integrity than the assumption is to be rich and living like a fool and having no integrity. Or how about this one? This one's even more to the point. James 4.1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. <laughs> We've all experienced this. You ever had a situation where you go, you know, I, 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 I know that this is the right thing to do, but I want to do this. How many of you can own that in your life? Just about every one of us. I, I mean, I, I have that battle with food every single day. How about you? It's like, I, I, I want to go to Wendy's after church, but I know that I should go over here. Now, that's an easy example. I think I'm gonna go to Wendy's today, come to think of it, but that's, a, that's an easy example. But it's very real to you and I. This idea that when these passions, these values are at war within us, now watch this, it, it can cause some real conflict in your life, can't it? I mean, honestly, my wife monitors my diet. So if I go to Wendy's after church, there's going to be heaven to pay when I get home. And so that's a funny example, but it's really true in our lives. The Bible affirms how incredibly important values are. And again, we're going to move on right now. Change equals conflict reveals to us just how important values are. Now, we're just ramping up here. For once we establish how important and powerful values are, the obvious issue becomes how do we determine and then establish values in this life? Or or even more to the point, and maybe this will get us down to some brass tacks, why are there so many competing values in this fallen world of ours? Have you ever thought of that? I mean, if we're all basically like, you know, well-meaning people who want to live good lives, why is it that there is such a clash of values, especially in our current modern world? Have you ever thought about that? Where does that come from? How can that be? And believe it or not, there's a relatively uncomplicated answer to this, and it leads us to what I call the pathway to values, which will show you why it can become so diverse. And it's this, that all of us live by the same equation, Christian, non-Christian, believer, unbeliever, everybody lives by the same equation, and that is that source equals substance. Source equals substance. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, Simply put, where you get your values from, where you source them, will determine the substance of them. Because here's what we know about values. Nobody picks them from thin air. They don't just arise out of nowhere. No, every value known to humankind has a foundation to them, a source from where you got them from. And what we need to realize is that this foundation determines the content and the substance of the resulting values. And you're saying, what are those sources? (laughs) Well, they're varied and sundried in a a fallen world. Some people get their values handed down to them from their family of origin, their parents and their grandparents. Some get their values from culture, from educational institutions, where you go to college, the media, what sources you get for your news, Hollywood, what you allow into your mind and heart. 
Some get their values from their friends, whether it be barroom friends or neighborhood friends or school friends or even church friends. Some get their values from the books that they read or the blog sites or internet sites that they go to. Some even get their values just from their own thinking. They add all these other sources up and they say, I think this is right and that is right. We all know people like that. Simply note, because this is really important, gang, that we are all influenced by someone or something and these influencers are strong determiners in the values that we have. You can't get away from it. Source will determine, it equals substance. It's how values are formed in a fallen world of ours. And though as we're gonna see shortly, some sources are certainly better or more healthy than others. Nevertheless, we all follow the same pattern. You know, one of the reasons that I love that my story that we showed earlier uh, of Dan's life is because it's a great example uh, of this idea of source equals substance. If you were listening to his story, you know that he originally developed his values from his family and his faith. He said that, I was raised in a Christian home, my great parents, and they, they instilled this stuff in me. But then as he entered adulthood, he talked about that one friend of his who had obviously sourced his values from other places, and Dan decided to source his values from his friend. And he even used the word values. And as we've seen with the power of values, this change in values created great conflict in Dan's life and even led to some painful consequences. However, when he finally woke up, he got back to his original source of values and this led to integrity, Proverbs 19.1, and wholeness and even his healing and his recovery. And so Dan's story, quite frankly, is not unlike many stories you and I could tell from our own life when we've wandered, is a great example of this idea of source equals substance and that where you source your values will be a very strong determiner of your values. You can't get around it. And Jesus hammered this thing home a lot. I want you to look at one of Jesus's famous parables. It's not one I hear talked about a lot, probably because it's so incredibly simple, but it's so profound when you allow it to sink in. Just a few verses, look at what he says. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Really easy parable to understand. You got two people both building similar houses. One of them built it on the sand. The other one built it on the rock. And the one on the sand didn't last, the one on the rock did. I had some fun with this. I Googled house built on sand this week. And then I Googled house built on rock this week. And it, it, I had a lot of pictures to choose from, but this is somebody who built their house, obviously on an, an erosive uh, sand here, and the storms came, and literally the house collapsed and took it away. What I loved about this picture is that this guy's surrounded by even more water than this guy. And, and so this guy, I mean, he, he, his house should be in the water, but that's not because it's built on rock. Now, do we all understand 
that Jesus is not giving us an architecture lesson here. Do you all understand that? What he's doing here is talking about life. And he's saying that your life has some choices before you. And you're going to build on your life. You're going to make something of your life. And here's the kicker. Your life outwardly probably won't look too much different than the person around you. You're going to get married. You're going to have some kids. You're going to get a job. You're going to save for retirement. You're going to have some hobbies. You're going to take some vacations. You're going to go to church. You're going to look like a lot of other Americans. But what Jesus is saying is the values that you have while you go about and do what you do will either be a rock-like influence in your life or it's going to be a sand-like influence of your life. And maybe now you can see why you can have people around you at work and at school and in your HOA that look normal just like you, but when you start to scratch the surface, they have values very different than you. Stop judging them. Stop looking at them and saying, well, you need values and I got them and you don't have values. No, they got values. <laughs> They've just sourced them from very different places than you have. And you should have compassion on them and care for them because they have built their house on the sand and you have built yours on rock and you have a steadiness and a security to your life that they desperately need. And we're not here to fight them. We're here to try to help them, but we need to understand how all of this works. And so hopefully you're starting to see that there is a very clear and workable explanation as to how we end up in a world and culture that is so, has so many different and competing values. It's because we live in a fallen world. We established that in week one. And in a fallen world, the greatest temptation is for people to go do their own thing. And in going to do your own thing, it's easy to grab a value here from the educational institution I went with, a value here from the TV show that I watched, a value here from the New York Times Magazine, a value here from what I happen to think. And before you know it, people are sourcing their values from all these different places. And it creates quite a mess in our lives. And so the question obviously becomes, once we understand the power that values have, that, 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 that change can equal conflict, once we understand the, the, the sourcing of values, that we're all on a similar pathway, we're sourcing our values from somewhere, the question obviously becomes, well then what is God's plan? What does God want for us? When he looks at this mess that we have created, what would he say? And this will not surprise some of you, but let's just put it out in plain language. God's plan for values is that biblical standards can create security in our souls. Biblical standards create security in our souls. I, I struggled long and hard this week as to what passage I wanted to show you in the Bible of how this is true, because there's so many of them. I want to show you a passage found in the Old Testament that I'm guessing you didn't read in your quiet time this week. It's a, kind of tucked away there. Most people do a drive-by with this passage and don't spend any time in front of it. But it's a passage that, that was for Israel, but you're going to see how it applies to you and I today, that, that is powerful in telling us what God's heart is when it comes to values for you and me. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 18. God is speaking. That's why it's in quotes. And he says to Israel... You, Israel, shall thus observe my statutes and keep my judgments so as to carry them out that you may live securely on the land. 
So it was a very, very clear deal that God had with Israel. He said, I'm giving you the Ten Commandments and a bunch of others. And there were all these civil laws for Israel that pertained particularly to Israel and how he wanted that, that culture to be constructed. And he said, as long as you obey my judgments, by interesting word in the Hebrew, it simply means value. A judgment is an application of the law. And so it's a value that we base upon God's law or statutes. That's why it says statutes and judgments. And so God's saying, as long as you adopt my values and stick by what I say and live and align your life that way, that's why he says, carry them out. So be doers of the word, not hearers. As long as you do that, he said, you're going to live securely in the land. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. And as we all know, sadly, Israel did not do that throughout the Old Testament. And as a result of that, they did not live securely in the land. But that was the promise that God gave. Now, this is Old Testament stuff, obviously couched within Israel. But here's how you interpret this passage as a New Testament believer. And that is that though we don't live in Israel now, and though there's no promise that we can live securely on the land here in America, that's not a promise God has given, what most Bible experts point out is that whenever you read passages like this, it shows a principle of God's heart and a principle of how God functions in our lives today. So let's test this. Let me ask a couple of questions. First, does God have statutes and judgments still today found in the rest of the Bible, including the New Testament, yes or no? Yes. For those of you who said no, we have a class for you. We'll teach you how that is true. Of course it does. The Bible is filled with all sorts of things that God wants us to do, areas of his heart and mind that he wants us to align with. They're called imperatives, by the way, in the Greek, in the, in the Hebrew, and the English. An imperative is simply a command. You use them all the time. Johnny, go to bed. Fido, get in your cage. Whatever you might do. I mean, those, those are imperatives that we use. Does it surprise you that God has some of those? And he has said to us, these are my statutes, these are my judgments. So just like he had for Israel, he has those for you and I today. And we talk about them all the time here. Second question, does God want us to carry them out in our lives today, yes or no? Yes. So would it then make sense that as we follow God's standards and adopt them into our lives, which is why I use this word in your equation, that there will be a level of security to our lives as we adopt his values, yes or no? Yes. And again, the Bible affirms this greatly. It doesn't mean that you won't have problems. It doesn't mean that every area of your life will work if you adopt God's values. I hate it when people say that because it's just not true. But the reality is, even when the storms of life come, that's what Jesus was talking about in that parable, you will survive the storm because your foundation is built on the rock. Your values are commensurate with God's. So even though you struggle in your marriage, even though your kids might go off the deep end at times, even though work might, might not be fulfilling, even though you have emotional problems like depression and anxiety that still plague your soul because we're all fallen, God has said as you adopt his standards for your life, there will be a level of security, a, a calmness beneath the waters of the storms of life will be yours as you adopt his values into your life. 
And let me make a comment here about values, God's values from the Bible that I think is really worth making. And I'm going to sit down to make this and I'm going to try not to yell. Okay, so you all heard me that. I'm going to try not to yell because I feel very passionate about this. And it's something that Christians need to repent of. I, I hear Christians all the time push back when I start talking like this, that we need to get our values from God's word. And you've heard this too. They say things like this. They say, well, okay, that's all good and fine. But you know what? The Bible's not always clear. And it's really hard to understand what it says. And there's multiple interpretations of what it says. And, and, and have you ever heard a Christian say that? You know what's so funny about when I hear Christians say that? They usually say that about something that they don't want to believe that the Bible is saying. Have you ever noticed that? And again, I even hear them do this. And again, this is really dangerous. They, I'll be in a Bible study and they'll be reading, say, the book of Romans and we'll be on verse 12 and they say, now here's somebody pipe up and this is where I have to not yell. And, and they'll say, they'll say um, you know what? You know what verse 12 says to me? Now I want to freak out right at that moment. Do you know why? I'm not going to yell. Because verse 12 says the same thing to you that it says to everybody. There is no secret meaning. There is no hidden message. There is no private interpretation of what the... God, wouldn't that be unfair if God did that? That, that? that I get a different interpretation? No. Let me, let me set the record straight here right now. The Bible is really clear 99% of the time. I've been reading it for 40 years. I have a master's degree in it. And by the way, I'll give you a hint. You don't need a master's degree to understand it. The reason I know the Bible is clear and plain on what it's saying is because right now we're teaching your second grader what it says. And we can do it in such a way that the second grader goes out and you ask him on the way home from church, they're going to tell you what it says. And you're going to go, I didn't know it said that. Yeah, it says that, Mom and Dad. You ought to go to Sunday school. That's what your kid's <laughs> going to say to you. <laughs> it's not complicated. Here's what happens. When the Bible says something that we don't like, now let's get down to brass tacks about marriage about human sexuality, about where life begins, or how about this one, uh, uh, strangers in our land, because quite frankly, a lot of you conservative folks, the Bible says things about strangers in the land that I don't think you've read. So when the Bible says things that we don't like, our go-to response, mark my words, I've been doing this a long time, is say, well, it must mean something else, and it must be a different interpretation, and the Bible's not always clear. <laughs> Stop it. Yes, it, you just don't like what it says. And again, you're human. I get it. We're all fallen. But part of Christian maturity, and the reformers talked about this, is to embrace the whole counsel of God. Whether it agrees with the Democratic Party or not, whether it agrees with the Republican Party or not. How about this one? Whether it agrees with your pastor or not. Don't you love that great passage in Acts 17, 11, where it says the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they checked the word every day to see if what Paul the apostle was saying was true. <laughs> Can you imagine not believing the Paul, Paul the apostle? But they said we have a higher view of the word of God and God's standards than we do even the apostle Paul, which is why you should have a much higher view of the word of God than you definitely do Jamie Rasmussen. The point is, biblical standards create security in our souls, but you have to believe them. You have to adopt them into your life. And when you do, you ready for this closing thought? When you do, you're going to experience that change equals conflict, that source equals substance, and that now that biblical standards are yours, you have security. Because when you adopt 
God's standards for your life, his value system is yours, I can promise you, you're going to have some conflict with the world around you. And that's hard for a lot of modern day Christians, isn't it? A lot of modern day Christians, especially in a nice town like Phoenix and Scottsdale here, we so desperately want to fit in. We don't want to be one of those raving religious lunatics, you know, that the neighbor looks at and goes, oh my gosh, you know, what, what are they smoking or something like that? We don't, we don't want to be seen like that. We're sophisticated people for crying out loud. And we want to be those who, who kind of fit into the culture around us. And I'm not saying be combative, but I can promise you right now, next time you go to your country club or your HOA meeting or whatever it is, and, and you start to leak out at all some of the values that you have, do not expect them to stand up and applaud. But don't get mad at them. Don't fight them. Don't say, well, I got values and you don't, because we learned that's not right. No, they just source their values from other places, and they need help. (laughs) They need you, a non-defensive you, who's rather secure in his or her personhood because you have God and his truth and his grace bathing your soul and on your side, and we can help those around us. I said last thought, but I lied. (laughs) One more thing I want to talk about, but this is really important. Let's try to put all of this together in a way that might help us understand. Now, don't miss this because I know some of you are tired. Don't think of memes yet, okay? So just stay with me till lunch. Um, We need to put this all together in in light of the very unique world we're living in right now. And and here's what it is. Uh, From about the time of Augustine, a la 5th century A.D., until about 1850, okay, a la Abraham Lincoln, the entire western half of the world, uh, so Europe and Americas, essentially, essentially lived under what historians call Christendom. And Christendom was simply a, a, a universal culture in which just about everybody and their brother was somehow tied to Christianity or the church. Doesn't mean that every one of them were saved, every one of them believed the same thing. You had Catholics, you had Protestants, you had the, you know, the Reformation, you had all different types of things. But, 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 but generally speaking, culture tried to get their values from the Bible, which is why during that time you didn't have the crazy culture wars going on today when it comes to issues like when does life start and a, and a woman's right to her own body and, and sexuality issues and all the moral issues we go on. They didn't really bicker about that stuff back then because generally speaking, people had placed their lives under the authority of the Bible. And this existed in the Western half of the world for a very, very long time. And again, I'm not painting it as a glory day because they had a lot of problems back then and they still dealt with fallen human beings and selfishness and greed and hatred and all that other stuff. But, but generally speaking, they, they got their morality as best they could from the Bible. Then around 1900 after, we entered into what we call our modern world that then led to our postmodern, POMO, postmodern world that nobody disagrees is now post-Christian. So we now live in a post-Christian society, a postmodern world, and here's what we need to understand, and this might help you understand why you feel what you feel, is that no longer is culture generally interested in what the Bible says. No, the three drivers of values in our current culture is academia, media, and Hollywood, in that order. Many of you think, no, it's politics. It's not. Politics gets their cues from academia. When Harvard, Yale, Duke, Princeton, all the Ivy Leaguers, when they 
sold the farm theologically and even value-wise, again, sometime in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that's when Christians started colleges like Wheaton and Biola and Azusa Pacific because culture went down a road at that time in which no longer was the Bible and biblical values supporting uh, culture, but what academia said was. And we entered into a postmodern world that ends for a whole other sermon, but it brought a whole new set of values. And now the media controls a lot of the talking points. And most scary, Hollywood has an influence now that nobody saw coming. I mean, you and I think, I'll talk about this in just a second, we think we can watch shows like Two and a Half Men or Modern Family or whatever show you watch, and it doesn't inform our worldview. I'm going to argue that you probably can do that, but boy, do you ever have to be careful. Because one of the reasons that many Christians are confused right now on very clear moral issues when it comes to values is because they have kind of sold their soul to what culture is saying around them a culture that, as we've seen, is no longer what it used to be, but now this, and they're very, very confused. That's the world we live in right now. And the question becomes, well, how should a Christian respond to that? And again, this is for another sermon, but there's been three general responses over the last 100 years to this, and I'm going to opt for one of them. The first response is that from about 1920 to 1970, and some of you folks at the chapel remember these days, uh, Christians basically separated from the world around us. They basically said, we reject any modern forms of anything, and, and we're going to do our own thing. And they developed cloistered communities and cloistered families, and they sent their kids to Christian elementary school and Christian high school and Christian colleges, and they started Christian businesses, and everything became around church. And again, there's some good in that, and when you're under attack, you want to kind of put a moat around everything and protect yourself. But that also had a real downside to it, and that is that we stopped engaging with a lost culture that Jesus spent most of his time engaging when he was on planet Earth here. So this retreatist mentality didn't prove to be as effective as we thought. And so the other option that some are doing even more so today than ever is we say, well, it's just not that big of a deal, so I might as well just sort of embrace it and fit in. And I see that a lot in Scottsdale. I'm not trying to step on your toes, but I see a lot of people in Scottsdale as Christians just doing their thing and going along with the world. And before you know it, you don't look any different. And your value system, quite frankly, isn't all that much different. And again, I want to be very gentle how I say this, but you wonder why your kids are struggling? Well, you didn't really raise them uh, to stand out and to stand tall. You didn't raise them to tell them that this world is not their home. And that they're only passing through. And we've kind of caved in and allowed the values of culture to creep in to our churches and to our families. We didn't even know it. Like fish swimming in dirty water. It's just sort of happened to us. And a lot of our problems can be traced back to that. So if not rejection and separatism, if not embracing and fitting in, what is it? Well, Jesus taught us this. Do you remember this in John 17? He was praying for you and I. And he said, Father... I pray that you do not take them out of this world. I pray you leave them in this world. But I pray that you keep them separate unto me and you for our purposes. This is essentially what he prayed. That we developed a saying off of that. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. In other words, Jesus' heart for us was to live our lives after him. Man, he hung around with all kinds of people. By the way, mostly sinners. <laughs> 
People like Matthew the tax collector, Zacchaeus up a tree, Peter when he was denying him, the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well. I could go on and on. Most of Jesus' interactions were with people who had sourced their values from other places and desperately needed to get right with God. And he's asked us to do the same, to be in the world, but not of it. But here's what it's going to take if you want to do that. Now, now here's my whole point in all of this. <laughs> and kind of laugh at this maybe because it's, it's weird. We're living in a land in between in a very real way. And that is in order to do that, you have to stop getting your values from where everybody else around you gets their values. You have to stop caving in to what the latest New York Times book says or, or what you read in an article or, or, or what Hollywood seems to say. You, you have to shelter your soul from that and, and you have to live almost like you're born in a wrong time. And, and that's why I said kind of la- You almost have to live like you're born in 1850. <laughs> you almost have to live in a sense like you get your value system from something that our culture doesn't know much about. And again, that's why this message is so important because when you do that, gang, change is gonna equal conflict. But that's okay because God gives you security and he is on your side. So very practically, how do you do this? I'm gonna share with you something I've been doing now mentally for 38 years, been a Christian now 38, 39 years, And I didn't even know I was doing this all these years, but I was so radically saved back in the early 1980s that I just started doing this without even knowing it. I went to a secular college. I I, I watch, get my source, my media mainly from secular media sources. I don't just read Christianity Today magazine. I, I read all the secular stuff you do. And I watch shows cautiously. Did you all hear that? Cautiously. There's some shows that I will not watch because they are just not helpful for my soul at all. There's just nothing redeeming about them. And I'll let you be the judge on what that is for you. Uh, but because of that, here's what I've done for the last 40 years that I think has helped me. Now, now, now latch onto this. Oh, I have said to the academic institutions that have educated me, I've said I will allow academia to educate me, but I will not allow you to define my values. Whenever I'm reading the news, and I don't care if it's MSNBC, CNN, or Fox News, I say to myself, I will allow the media to inform me, but they will not determine my values. And then, most importantly, when I'm watching a show, whether it be one of my favorite action movies that I tend to love, or whatever sitcom I might be watching, I'm constantly having this mindset. I will allow Hollywood to cautiously entertain me, but I will not allow them to determine my values. What have I done there, folks? I've essentially said, I barricaded my soul and said, I will not buy in to that. I'll be open-minded. I'm not disengaging from academia. I'm reading secular books all the time. I'm not disengaging from the media. I go there all the time. I'm not disengaging even from Hollywood, though we have to be very cautious about it. What I'm doing is, is being in the world but then having a barrier around my soul saying my values come from elsewhere. And last thought, promise this time, it's actually really fun to do that because there's times where I'm watching a show and it's so outrageous, it's so crazy where our culture is today. And instead of getting mad, which I'm very good at doing, what I will find myself doing is going, I'm never, ever, ever gonna think like that. I'm not buying into that. 
and I'm going to make sure I tell my church about it next Sunday. <laughs> because it's actually fun to exegete the culture around you and, and to guard your soul. And that's how we all stay together. That's how someday when your body stops working and you appear before God, he's going to give you, because of your belief in Jesus, but also because of your sanctification, well done, good and faithful servant. And he'll also use you to help many of those around us who desperately want a better life in Christ. And we can help them with that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you for your word. God, I'm so grateful for Leviticus, for Jesus' words in Matthew, for the Proverbs that help us realize that this idea of values is so important. We all got them. You made us to have them. But that, Lord, source equals substance. We have to get them from the right place. And your standards are the only thing that can create security in our soul. God, I know many of the folks here at Northridge and at Cactus Chapel and Venue, we all desire to live pure and set apart lives for you. We want to walk with you, God. We want to be happy and joyful. Hammer home to us today, Lord, that your values were designed for that. They're not killjoys. They're designed to help us find that joy and satisfaction in life that can only come from you. So may we not be afraid of these May we not be afraid of the conflict that might ensue in our families, in our, in our communities, whatever. God, may we be bold and loving, grace-filled, and truthful in the way we approach life. And I pray this in Jesus' name.